2017 uh, has been a very turbulent year, a very difficult year. There's been a very difficult political climate uh, in our nation and in many countries as well throughout the world. Uh, many international crises such as uh, North Korea's intercontinental ballistic missiles, ISIS, the chemical warfare that's going on in Syria. We heard of terrorist attacks in many places, Barcelona, St. Petersburg, London, Istanbul, New York. Saddenly, there were many mass shootings even in our country. Humanitarians, they, they declare Myanmar and, and Yemen to be under the most devastating time in their history. Not to mention, there was a slew of natural disasters this past year. There are hurricanes in the Atlantic, earthquakes in Mexico City. There are wildfires on the West Coast. And, and list after list, there are a lot of things that happened this past year that cause us to think this has been a very difficult year for everyone. And not to mention, even personally, that's how they reflect upon this year. You know, recently, Facebook has this new feature where it compiles all of your memories of 2017, and it makes this video. And as people are watching their own snapshots of what 2017 year looked like, a lot of them responded, man, I didn't know my life was that miserable. Man, my life was that bad this year. And though it was supposed to make people happy and reminisce, it made individuals just feel that, more, that much more miserable when they look back upon this past year. And for perhaps for many of us, it's the same. Maybe 2017 just wasn't that great of a year for you. Perhaps there was a lot of difficulties, a lot of affliction, hardship. And maybe that's just how we're ready to label 2017 and just hope that we'll never have to go back to that kind of living again. We're just looking forward to 2018. But then some of us, we've already experienced the difficulties of 2018, even the short weeks that we experienced this past month. And so it can leave a lot of us feeling just hopeless, feeling very devastated. Is this life? Is this what we are to expect? Because 2017 was a very stark reminder of affliction, of persecution, being perplexed, asking questions like, God, why, why is this going on in my life right now? What are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? And perhaps we are left like that. Perhaps there have been relationship issues or certain things that happen at work or whatever catastrophe that came upon your life that just makes you feel like you've just been beaten up, constantly struck down. And it seems like you just find a little bit of strength to get up from one strike down to another, all to be struck down again. And this pattern, just day after day, it can leave you pretty restless, pretty tired. And at this point, there is no energy left to even look forward to this year. And I think that's the reality for a lot of us. Not only believers, but also non-believers, all people. And after a while, there is a stark reminder that it seems like death is at work within us. It seems like our lives are so temporary and short. And our lives just don't have much to look forward to. That this idea of death is very evident in our lives. I'm not sure how accurate this is, but there's this website 
where you can input all of your details, your ethnicity, your age, how often you exercise, and it calculates how long you have left to live. It's pretty morbid. But I put in all my details. I, I input it how often I exercise. I don't smoke. And to my surprise, I hope it's right, I'm going to live to be 95 years old. <laughs> I got 16 plus years because I don't smoke, three plus years because I exercise two times a week. I got minus five years because I don't drink at all. It's recommended that you drink a glass of wine every day uh, to be healthy, I guess. But as if that wasn't morbid enough, on the bottom of that website, on this webpage, there's a huge number. And for me, that number was 1,290,383,495 seconds of how much life I had left to live. It even calculated in the second, that was Wednesday night, how much time I had left. And I saw that number just dwindle second by second. And it was a very sobering reminder that the moment you're born, you are dying. The moment we are born, that this death clock is ticking. And naturally, that's the truth for all of us, but even more so when affliction comes our way. It really feels like this idea of death, this Difficult. The affliction is taking a toll on our bodies. And now we establish that's the, that's the case for a lot of us, whether Christian or not, that this affliction is going to keep on coming, and it has kept on coming for a lot of us. Paul acknowledges that in this passage. But here's the thing. After acknowledging that, you know what his conclusive statement is? We do not lose heart. That is such a perplexing statement that you look at all the difficulties and afflictions that you've experienced or are experiencing now, how can you get from that and say, I am not going to lose heart. I still have hope. And to make that connection, it's just amazing. I want to know how to come to that conclusion. How do you look at the things at 2017? How do you look at all the things in your life? And is your conclusive statement, you know what? My hope is in God. Are you curious, at least, of how you can get from that point to this? And that's going to be the focus of our passage today. Because whether you're Christian or not, if you're honest with yourself, you should at least want that. You should at least desire that. No matter what affliction comes your way, that you're able to say, my hope is still in God. I still have hope in this life. And the way that we're going to approach that is first I'm going to explain from this passage how we are able to say something like that. How does this operate for us? And after that, I'm going to give three quick reasons why God designed life to be this way. So how and then three reasons why. So let's keep going. The first point is, how does God allow us to be able to say something like this? And the answer is very clear in our passage. It says that our outer selves are wasting away, but our inner selves are being renewed daily. Our outer selves, our bodies, all the things that we see, they're being wasted away. We established that, afflictions, difficulties, but our inner selves are being renewed day by day. Now, let's look to the scriptures. Look at the beginning of your passage at verse 7. What's the first word that you see? You see the word but. 
which tells us that Paul, he's not beginning a whole new argument. He's continuing a thought that he started earlier in chapter 4. So when you look at this word, but, he goes and, and, and explains what this treasure in jars of clay is. So what is this treasure in jars of clay? You see that a couple of verses before. He says that it is the light of the knowledge of glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the treasure. That's the key. He's saying knowing God, having relationship with him intimately and personally through Jesus Christ, this gospel message that you hear time and time after again, we sing about it, we talk about it, this gospel message that Christians have, that's this treasure. And once you have this treasure inside of you, then you can walk away from any situation and say, we do not lose heart. That's the answer. Should we pray? No, because there's so much more to it. What does that mean? What does it mean to have treasure inside of our hearts? You know, you should also consider that the way Paul describes these things, he says we are afflicted, we are perplexed, we are persecuted, we are struck down. But each one of those things has a corresponding reality for the one who has this treasure. If you have this treasure, you may be afflicted, but you are not crushed. You may be perplexed, asking God, why is this happening to me? But you're not driven to despair. You may be wondering why there is persecution, perhaps at work, perhaps at school, perhaps people looking at you differently because you rather spend Sunday morning going to church, worshiping the Lord, rather than just spending that time for yourself. For the Christian, you may be knocked down, but you will never be knocked out. You will never throw in the towel and say, you know what, all of this, this whole thing, forget it. It's not worth it anymore. And there's something about this treasure that enables believers to be able to say that. And that's what Paul explaining here. No matter how much affliction comes our way, that having this treasure, if you sincerely have this treasure, you will never be at a point of despair. You will never lose hope. You will never be so knocked out that you're not even willing to try anymore. There's something inside of us, this treasure. He describes it as having this treasure in jars of clay. And this is a strange paradox. If you think about it, what does a jar do? It holds things. But he purposely uses the image of jars of clay because he wants to get this idea that it's not what's outside that's important. It's not what you can see that's valuable. Because there are a lot of jar clays back then in Paul's time. I mean, you can go to the museum. There's these, you know, elaborate urns and jars that the Romans and the Greeks made. So he could have used that image, but rather, he says, jars of clay. They were broken, easily shattered. Once they're broken, you just throw them away. A lot of the times, they actually use metal jars so that even if a piece was chipped off you can melt it and reuse it so there's some value and worth in it but in the jar of clay as soon as it's shattered it's done worthless it no value at all and he uses this paradise and i think for us it's hard to kind of imagine what he's getting at here i think the best example that i could think of is all of those amazon boxes that are in your living room right after you get what you need from it, it just has no value anymore. 
and you just throw them away. And he's trying to draw this comparison, this paradox, that though on the outside we are wasting away, we are like jars, but in the inside we have something so valuable, this treasure. And there's no paradox like this. Nothing like this that we can kind of use today to kind of explain what this means. The best that I could do to kind of get this idea that on the outside, it's, it's nothing but inside, is very important, was, was a Big Mac box. Because a Big Mac box, after you eat what's inside, you literally just throw it away. But inside is the three sesame buns, two 1.6-ounce burgers. I memorized it. Cheese, this special sauce that I refuse to believe it's not Thousand Island. There's something else in it. But even with that, it still doesn't get the idea of this paradox, this strange paradox, because, you know, not many of us might not like McDonald's. There's nothing in this world today that gets at this idea that we are completely worthless on the outside, but something inside of us is so valuable, this treasure. And so the question I want us to consider is, do you have this treasure? Do you have it? What is this treasure like? If you're a Christian and you feel like you've been Christian for a long time, are you going to assume that you just have this treasure because you can confess with your mouth, I believe in Jesus Christ. But the actual question is, do you have this treasure of wanting to know Christ intimately? And here's the litmus test to prove that. Do you have a sincere desire to be renewed day by day? In your inner self is that happening in your life instead of just assuming that I have this treasure this gospel is there evidence of your life every day Paul says our inner selves are being renewed day by day to increase in our relationship with Jesus there is something like that that's evident in my life and the question is if you have that do you have that then yes you have this treasure but if you don't have this inner daily renewal then don't be quick to assume you have this treasure. That's the litmus test that we must ask ourselves. Because if you do have this treasure, no matter what 2018 is going to bring, you will never lose heart. You will never be driven to the point of despair. In fact, you'll be able to walk away from any situation and say, praise the Lord. Imagine yourself being able to say something like that in light of all that you experienced this past year. The difference is if you have this treasure or not. And let's be sober-minded, not to quickly assume, yes, I have this treasure. Because if there is no daily spiritual renewal going on in your life, you do not have this treasure. It's a sobering, sobering challenge for all of us. We can't assume it. Do you want to know Jesus truly? I mean, really want to know who the Savior is, not just up here, not just with what we say, but what it looks like in your heart. Is that the most important thing of our lives? This old pastor once said to me, you know, every morning, my goal is to make my happy in the Lord. And if I'm able to say I did that, then my day is complete. Is that the sincere desires of our hearts? Because that's how the dynamics of Christian living works. A daily spiritual renewal. You know, recently I spoke at a retreat. And at the end of every retreat, 
like you and I experienced perhaps. It's been a blessing time spending day in and day out just praying, listening to God's word, spending time in fellowship. But you know what everyone tells me at the end of the retreat? They say, you know what, I'm afraid to go back home because I know how difficult work is going to be. I know just how hard school. I know that I left my house in an argument with my spouse, and I know that's what's waiting for me at home. So I'm, I'm dreading going back home. So I want to just savor every moment of this retreat. And I listen to them. I say, man, that's pretty sad. You're afraid to go back home because you know you've already accepted the fact that it's going to be difficult and there's going to be no chance for you to keep this spiritual renewal alive. And it reveals, for a lot of us, this false idea of how Christianity works. You know, we believe that once God shows himself in your life, maybe there was a time in your life that he miraculously really made himself evident, maybe a miracle, maybe a healing, or maybe it was an experience, perhaps at a retreat or at church, where you really tangibly felt the presence of God, something inside of your heart that just told you that God is here, that God is with you, and maybe you're looking back on that experience, back on that miracle. And then we try so hard to hold on to that experience, but that's not how the Christian life works because there is an assumption in Paul that you will be renewed every day. You will not have any chance at this if that is not happening. That's not how the Christian life works. We have this false assumption that once we encounter God, that there has to be this continual place of satisfaction. And we're surprised when we fall out of that place. God, why am I not doing spiritually well? It's not a surprise if we're not being spiritually renewed every day. If you look closely, it says to make new again daily, every day. And I think that's a challenge for all of us for this year. We're not saying just assuming that I have Christ. I mean truly treasuring Jesus more than anything else in this world. When I talk to people about 2018, there are many resolutions. I'm going to read the Bible more this year. I'm going to pray with my spouse. I'm going to do this with my kids. I'm going to, you know, listen to a sermon on the way to work. But you know what question that I have? Before you even get to that, can your resolution be, I want to treasure my Savior first? Because if that desire isn't there, you can read all of the scripture you can, but there's no spiritual renewal. First, we must stop and ask, God, may I treasure you this year? May I value you? May I want to get to know you? And it's very deceptive because we might have a picture of a Christian life. I want to be a Christian that reads his scripture. I want to be a Christian that has it all together. That's not the same thing that Paul's talking about. I want to be someone who has his Christian life in control. I want to be able to say that I read the Bible. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about do you treasure Jesus Christ every day? Once you do that, all the other things will follow. Are you more concerned about what you're going to look like, what you're going to be, how your life is going to turn out versus treasuring Christ? It might be minor, but it makes a world of a difference. John Piper, who once said, discovering the secret of not losing heart 
is not an experience that lasts a lifetime. Every day has its own. The car of your hope and strength and joy is not, to, is not meant to run on yesterday's gas. The metabolism of your spiritual renewal is not meant to run on yesterday's meals. The relief from your spiritual medicine is not dependent on yesterday's dosage. There is no such thing as a spiritual boost shot that lasts for 10 years. No meals that's going to carry you out for the rest of the year. There are no gas tanks in the car that has a big enough tank that doesn't need refueling. And the way that we get to refueling is to first establish, do I treasure Jesus Christ? That has to be the first and utmost resolution that you and I must have. Because the reality is, afflictions, they are coming in 2018. And not only the same ones, it's going to be more difficult. I'm more and more convinced that every year of my life, it gets harder. It definitely gets harder. You know, one of the students at the retreat asked me, Pastor Luke, you seem like you're very old and wise. And I'm like looking at this little girl. Now I'm like 30-some years old, but I guess to her. And she asked me this genuine question, does Christian life get harder? I say yes, it does. And then what answer, what hope do we have for her? For someone like her? What are you going to tell your kids? Is Christian life, what, what is it about? Is it going to get harder? And when you say yes, what hope are you going to give them? The hope here is what Paul's talking about. Although 2018 is going to be more difficult, but there's something inside us that's going to get stronger and renewed. That's the hope that we have. It's our prayer request so much like, God, take this away. Fix this. Do this. Versus, God, strengthen me to endure this by treasuring you more than this. It makes a world of a difference. What are your prayer requests like for this year? God, I hope for this situation to change. Or, God, I pray that you will enable me to treasure you so much that no matter what comes my way, I will be able to say, I will hope in the Lord. We must recalibrate the way that we see this year. I know 2018 for me, it's going to be full of ministry hardship. There are going to be unexpected surprises, things that come that I had no idea was going to come. I'm ready for that. You know how? Because I'm ready. I'm convinced that I need to be renewed day by day. And if I'm not being renewed day by day, it's no surprise when these things come that I'm in despair. Let's prepare for that. That's how Paul prescribes the Christian life. There's no delaying it. It's going to happen. And for a lot of us, it's going to be worse. The question is, do you have this treasure that renews a relationship with Christ every morning, every night, every day? So that's how we're able to have hope. Now, three quick reasons. Why does God do it like this? You know, he could have done it in a lot of ways. He could have done it in a way magically he zaps us and we have this hope that's never wavering. But why does God design it so that we are wasting on the outside, but he makes us be renewed daily on the inside? There's three reasons. First, so that the power of God can be displayed. So that the power of God can be displayed. If you look at verse 7, he says that this power of God belongs to him. 
not us. That there is this power of God that is enabling us to have this hope. And this word in the original language is this word dunamis. Dunamis sounds like the word dynamite, right? And a lot of people, they make that connection, say, you know what? The power of God is like dynamite. It's, it's spectacular. It's miraculous. It's instantaneous. It's amazing. But is that how Paul's describing the power of God in this passage? Is it instantaneous? Is it just miraculous and spectacular? Is it fleeting? That's not the power of God that he's talking about. It's not this automatic, warm, warm, fuzzy feeling that says, I feel like God is in my heart. And then the next day, you don't feel like God is in your heart. That's not the power of God here. It's not this hawk-like example or display of God's power, this miraculous event, although he does do that at times. That's not the normal way that God's power is displayed in us. So the question is, how do you define God's power in your life? Are you waiting for burning bushes? Are you waiting for God to part the Red Sea? Are you God, or waiting for God to raise the dead in your life? Something. Or is the way that we view God's power is this enduring, this persevering, this holding on to hope when it seems like hope is lost. That's the power of God that he's talking about. And let's praise him for that. The very fact that you are here, even in the midst of 2017, still holding on to your faith, saying, I want to know God. I want to worship God. Do you think that's the power of God? Because the way Paul defines it, it is. There's a blog writer. He labeled at the top of this blog, this post, post, did you see the power of God last week? And all of his subscribers were writing, you know, asking, you know, what was it? What happened? And they were expecting some miraculous story. And he writes, I sinned a lot last week, and I still believe in Jesus today. Truly, the age of miracles is not done. The way that we see God's presence in our life must be changed. Because the moment we assume that his power can only be revealed in these spectacular, momentous experiences, we're going to miss out on so much. There is so much that God is doing in you by allowing you to persevere, to hold on, even though this doesn't make sense, yet still I will trust in you. Where did that power come from? That happens when your kids are yelling and fighting and when you're arguing with your spouse. That happens on the way to work and you're in a traffic jam. God, I will still trust you. I wonder how many miracles of God happened in your life this past year. But we're so tunnel vision to see God's power displayed in these extravagant ways that we miss out. Are you praying for a Hulk-like display of God's power this year? Are you praying for the power of God as Paul defines it? And the way that he defines it assumes something. It assumes that you're going to be weak. It presumes that we are going to stay weak. Because the question is, when is God's power most effective? When is it? It's exactly when we are weak. So the assumption is that we have to remain weak this year and let God's power be evidence. Another way we need to recalibrate our minds is, we, for some reason, we, we tend to think 
that we have a little bit of strength in us, a little bit, you know, because I can do all the things I need to do at home. I don't do all these things perfectly, but I can still get by. So we tend to think that we have a little bit of strength, and when we pray for God's power, that all he does is enhance our own strength, and as a result, we become powerful. That's not the way he's explaining it here. One commentator, he writes, we imagine that as we embrace our weakness, God will pour his power into us so that we become powerful. So the natural equation we have in our minds is my weakness plus God's power equals my power. And he says that's not how it works. He says your weakness stays your weakness and will continue in your weakness, but then God's power will continue to be displayed. That's how it works. So how quick are you to hurry up and, sh and shoo away all your weaknesses this year? Because the moment you do that, there is no power of God left. If you do get stronger this year, there will be less of God's power. But if you get weak, perhaps even get weaker, maybe more of God's enduring power, the way that he explains it here. Are you willing to let go of your strength this year, your resolve? This year is going to be different. This year, I'm going to try harder. This year, I'm going to schedule my family in a way that I'm going to spend more time with the kids. Or are you going to fall flat on your face and say, God, I can't do this? It makes a difference. Are you going to embrace your weakness this year and allow God's power to be magnified? And the moment you get on your face and honestly say, God, Lord, I can't. Do this. I'm curious to see what God's going to start doing. When you can genuinely and honestly make that confession before the Lord as we enter this year. If you ask me that question, Pastor Lou, when do you most often see the power of God? It's not when I talk to a missionary who, who converted hundreds of people on the field. It's not when I talk to this seasoned preacher who preaches fire and brimstone. That's not when I see the power of God. I see the power of God at a struggling mother who's trying to make ends meet, praying for her kids, enduring. And I say, what a miracle. I see the parent trying so hard, praying to be an example for their kids to know Christ. Wow. I see that just the daily hardships of life just being battered time and time after again, but you're still trying to pick up this Bible and get something out of it. That's the power of God. What a miracle. How do you want God's power to be displayed this year? Don't be quick to throw away your weakness. This one person said, we are like jars of clay. We're being held together by a divine adhesive. And the light that shines through the cracks of this jar is none other than the light of Jesus. And it's only when we maintain these cracks that God's light will shine through. Do not be quick to fix these cracks of your life, but rather see the power of God displayed in your weakness. That's the first reason. Second reason why God designed it this way is to prepare for us an eternal weight of glory. To prepare for us an eternal weight of glory. And he's reminding us that whenever some kind of affliction comes your way, don't forget to put that affliction next to this eternal 
weight of glory that's waiting for you in heaven. Don't forget that you have this place in heaven that you're going to get to one day where there will be no affliction, where there will be no arguments, there will be no sin. That's still true for you. And every time you face affliction, put them next together because then you'll have hope. You'll have hope that that's the end goal. And we oftentimes, we don't put things into perspective. We don't have this eternal view. Our eyes need to be on the things that are unseen, not seen. Every single thing, every traffic jam, every argument, every time someone's impatient with you, put that next to this eternal weight of glory. That's the only way you'll be able to have hope. Let me explain it like this. You know, I'm not a tall man. But I'm not short either. I'm 5'9 and 3 fourths inches, I know, to the dot. And when people look at me, they don't say anything about my height. They don't say I'm short. They don't say I'm tall. But for some reason, when I stand next to my wife, people think I'm short. <laughs> because I know she's 5'9 and a half. I still have a quarter of an inch on her. But when they see me next to her, they say, Luke, I didn't know you were that short. I didn't know your legs were that short, your head that big. They would never have said that if they saw me by myself. But next to my wife, they see things differently, don't they? Every single affliction that comes your way, make us conscious effort, putting that next to the eternal weight of glory. Every little thing, every difficult situation, and then you'll walk away from that situation with hope. C.S. Lewis says, this beauty that we long for, these things that we are desiring, uh, the, the end of sin, they're just supposed to make us long for something so much better. If we think that if God fixes whatever situation you are in, if that's the end goal, then you're worshiping an idol. Those are idols, he says. He says, every good thing that we experience here, it's like the scent of a flower that we haven't found. It's an echo of a tune that we haven't heard yet. It's news of a country that we haven't been to. Every single aspect of life pointing forward to this eternal way. There will be a day, brothers and sisters, there will be no arguing, no sin, no affliction, no natural catastrophe, no ISIS. There will be a day. Let us not forget day in and day out. That's the second reason. The third reason is so that the life of Jesus can be manifested in us. And that's the final reason. Paul, he writes this three times. That the result of all this, this treasure in jars of clay, so that people can see the life of Jesus in us. And how does that look? What does it look like for Jesus to be manifest in us? Look at verse 13. This is what it looks like. If you have the life of Jesus manifested in your life, he says... Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what it has been written, I believe and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And what Paul's doing is he's quoting a psalm, Psalm 116. And Psalm 116 is about a man who's enduring a lot of difficulty. A lot of his friends betrayed him. He's being hated on. A lot of his enemies are tracking him down. And he goes on to say all of, all of these afflictions. But there's somewhere in that psalm, it goes from affliction to this guy saying, I will speak. I will have faith and I will speak. God is there. 
God is in this. And there is that moment, that moment when you do see these afflictions, when it does seem like there is no hope, instead of waiting for something to change, something inside you, this spirit of faith that says, you know what? I trust God is here. That's faith. That's faith. It's not waiting for this magical event to happen where you're just zapped and all of a sudden you have faith in God. No, it's when you make that resolve and say, you know what? I don't see it. It doesn't make sense. But in faith, God, you are here. That's what faith is. How many opportunities of faith has given you in 2017? Where in the face of affliction, you can say, God, you are there. And maybe that's how he's challenging you. He's stretching you to have this same spirit of God because that faith is the same faith that our Lord Jesus Christ had. Every affliction, every tribulation, He didn't just pray, God, just remove this. But in faith, he trusted that this was for our good so that we could have this gospel treasure in our hearts time and time after. Again, when Jesus was on the cross, when he saw the affliction, he had a spirit of faith that says, God, you are still here. You're working this out for good. It doesn't look like it. Nobody believed him. But that faith, and every single time you make that confession of faith, you have the life of Christ in you. Don't you want that? When you say, you know what, God, it doesn't seem like you're in this situation, but I believe and I will speak and say, God, you are here. That's Christ. You didn't make that. God gave that to you. Power of God displayed. I know even for our church this year, it's going to be difficult. I know it will have much hardship. I know many of us will struggle. But my prayer this year is not God to take away any of those things. But may our church be strengthened in our inner being to treasure Christ so much, no matter what affliction, what persecution, we can walk away and say, praise the Lord. God is here. Let's pray. Here at Renewal, uh, after we hear God's word, we take a couple minutes uh, just to give you time to pray to God on your own. Perhaps it's been a long time since you ever even talked to God, and I invite you to do so now. He's listening, and he always will be listening. And if this year, these past months, or this week, or this past couple days was extremely hard and difficult, tell him. He is listening. He's experienced it. He's willing to take you in. So lift up those afflictions to Christ and have him hear you. Let's pray.
next, let's pray that this power of God will be displayed in our lives. A power that endures, a power that perseveres, a power that embraces Christ in each situation. Let's pray for that kind of power this year. Because his word tells us when we pray for that kind of power, he will provide. Let's pray that for us individually for this 2018. Finally, perhaps you made a lot of resolutions, and I'm not saying for you to discard them, keep them. But let's take this time to pray, God, may my number one resolution this year to be able to treasure you more than all other things, more than situations turning out the way that I want, more than problems fixed, more than anything else. My resolution is to know you treasure you, to have this treasure in my heart. Let's pray. We'll end our time. Father, we look forward to the day when we look back on years like 2017 and able to say, praise the Lord for how you persevered in us. And may that be the same for 2018 and 19 and 20 until we're age 95 till you take us home. That we can always walk from every situation saying we do not lose heart. All because treasure of Christ that we hold within us. That's our resolve. Help us. Strengthen us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's rise and close in worship.
deserve your love will always be enough nothing compares to your embrace light of the
God's people said, Amen. Go in his hope.